Look, our brains are great at lots of things, but remembering passwords is not one of them, especially not secure passwords. Let's free our brains from being password managers and get something way better. 1Password. One 1Password one keeps everything private and in sync across multiple devices. 1Password can't see the passwords or sensitive information you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. I've been using 1Password for about 10 years now, and it's made my life so much easier, especially using it with Touch ID and Face ID. It's the first thing I install on any new phone, computer, or tablet I'm using for myself or my family. And all you have to remember is one strong account password that protects everything else your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. And I love that something I use to save me so many hours, I can't even count them all, is something you can try too. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash beyond for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash beyond. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash beyond. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Beyond the To-Do List. I'm your host, Eric Fisher, and this is the show where I talk to the people behind the productivity. This week, I'm excited to share with you a conversation I had with Keith Farazi. He's the chairman of Farazi Greenlight and the Greenlight Research Institute. He has a brand new book out called Competing in the New World of Work, How Radical Adaptability Separates the Best from the Rest. And in this conversation, we talk about this going back to work or going back to the office mentality. We talk about the great resignation, which I don't really love as a term, but hey, it's what people are using. So SEO, there you go. And we talk about where we've been in terms of the world of work where we are now and where we're going. We talk about the pandemic. We talk about the returning to work. We talk about which back-to-office approach, if any, is the right one. We talk about being adaptable, and we talk about basically what the world of work looks like right now and how to move forward with adaptability. So to be adaptable, I'll get out of the way and say, enjoy this conversation with Keith Farazi. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome to the show, Keith Farazi. Keith, welcome to the show. Thanks a lot, Eric. This is going to be fun. Yeah. So, man, the new world of work sounds very, I don't know, overwhelming, foreboding, maybe, to some people. I think the reality is we've been talking about this stuff for 20 years. Yes. And the reality is for 20 years, we haven't been doing anything about it. Lots of conferences. And what we had as an inflection point, a two-year reboot, where we had an opportunity to either crawl out of the rubble and go back to work or go forward to work. And that was really what I was trying to do in our research for the last two years. 2,000 executives, we crowdsourced hundreds and hundreds of best practices of what it really means to take advantage of this new world that we're living in today. And then we documented those and curated them in what Harvard picks as its top book coming out of the pandemic called Competing in the New World of Work. So I'm glad to see that we are in sync because I can't help but think that 
a lot of the stuff that's being talked about recently. It's it's one of the reasons the phrase, the great resignation drives me nuts because yeah, I guess we can collectively pool a bunch of people doing the same thing all at once into like a quote, air quotes movement. But we've been headed this direction for a long time in fits and starts. And that's, I think what you're saying too, is we've had an accelerating moment here, but things were already moving in this direction. Yeah, exactly. And for decades, I remember back in 2010, I was coaching the executive team of Cisco, John Chambers' executive team. And I started to become aware of some technology tools like WebEx at the time, Telepresence and others. And I thought, wow, this is interesting. And I approached Harvard to do a research project on what are the new people rules in the virtual world? If you go to hbr.org and you put my name in, there'll be at least 12 things that we published over a six-year period that was way in advance of anybody really giving it out. We woke up today, and by the way, the, the, what was interesting, let me just pause for a second. The use of the technology is not the point. Mm-hmm. Turning on a camera is not the point. Changing the way we work, that's the point. And I'll give you a for instance. There's a flawed assumption, I call it a myth, that collaboration means a meeting. The reality is that collaboration starts before the meeting if you're doing it right. The best practices that we saw and we curated and we put into the chapter around collaboration in the book showed that the best teams started dialogues in the cloud. They started them in shared Google Docs. They started them in SharePoint documents. They started them in Slack room conversations, Teams conversations. And it wasn't until there was really clarity around what are some of the ideas? What are the topics? Who really has a dog in this hunt? It should be in the room. Then you have the meeting. And then in the meeting, you open up a shared document. You start the conversation both verbally, but you also allow people to document their thinking in a document while the meeting's occurring. The average meeting of 12 people only have four people feeling that they were fully heard. That is inexcusable and it's unnecessary. But if you change the way we work, we change our work assumptions. And then use the tools to support new ways of working, new ways of collaborating, right? New ways of innovating, new ways of decision-making. That's what we try to capture in the book so that it's not just about slapping tools on old ways of working. That's the big shift. Yeah. And it's not just about, I think one of the ways that the tools have kind of, well, in, in some ways become the focus of the dialogue or gotten in the way of the dialogue is because the tools typically allow more of an asynchronous workflow, which is great, but it also then encourages in some weird ways, you know, the opposite. Oh, no. Well, since we can be on all the time, we should always be synchronous as well. We should be asynchronous and synchronous at all times, and no one can decide what to do, which way, when, how, etc. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, there were four basic principles that we uncovered of a leader that is really in this era. In this new era, one of them is the need for what we've just been talking about, radically redefining collaboration to be much more inclusive, much more bold, you know, just because it used to be that if you got more people involved in decision making, that it would slow things down. That was an old way of thinking. What we saw is organization crowdsourcing innovation, you know, at uh, Unilever, they stopped doing business planning top down. You know, the old way of doing business business planning is the uh, CEO and the CFO would figure out the budget, hand it off to the executive team. 
negotiate a bit, and then cascaded to the company. Unilever said, let's get our top 300 leaders to co-create. What are the real growth opportunities? Let's build it bottom up. That would never happen before. First of all, people are all over the world. And we've been living in hybrid worlds for a long time. We've just been doing it badly with still having the centricity of headquarters. And then everybody who was virtual got treated like a second-class citizen. The equalization of voice, the teaming out of more and more individuals being involved in decision-making, that happened in such a beautiful way during the pandemic. We never want to go back. We never want to go back to work. You only want to go forward. So this inclusion space was probably, and, and collaboration space is one of the big chapters. Another one is agility. We practiced crisis agile during the pandemic. And we were waking up every day, figuring out, taking in what was changing, pivoting, adapting. We need to sustain that. And we found amazing organizations creating that kind of sustained agility. The other one was resilience. We've never seen mental well-being and shared responsibility for people's energy, vulnerability. We saw an amazing awakening of the space of resilience in the pandemic, which I think we're never going to put that genie back in a bottle. So those are a few of the chapters that uh, I just was inspired to, to share right now. I don't know if any of them are, are piqued your interest, Eric. Yeah, well, and, and I want to say, I totally agree with you. I think we definitely were already living in a hybrid world, though not everybody wanted to admit they were living there yet. And I think what happened is we all ended up moving into the same space during the last two to three years where we were forced to live in the same space. And as things have kind of changed and it's like, well, can I move back out again or move back into my old place? It's like, no, we're all, it's not stuck here per se. It's that we've crossed a line, in other words. I don't think we're ever going to put flexibility of work. I, I was talking to a, an executive from a very traditional company this morning, a major oil and gas company, one of the top five execs in that company. And uh, he said to me, he said, you know what? One of the beautiful things that we came awakened to was we all used to be worried. What would happen if somebody was outside of our line of sight? Would they really be working? He said, we put that to bed. We're never going to be concerned about that again. We all know that people showed up. We can trust our people. And they did extraordinary things. And I thought that was beautiful, particularly from an old state organization. So there's some really great awakenings that occurred that I, I know I'm certain are going to last. But then there were a lot that we didn't go far enough. Yeah. For instance, did we really learn how to sustain constant looking around corners and foresight? In the chapter of foresight, uh, by the way, I don't know if we talk much about it. The book is called Competing in the New World of Work. And I'm, I'm, I'm so proud of what we've done. It's Harvard's top pick coming out of the pandemic. There's a video series if anybody wants to really start implementing it differently in your own teams. And that video series is, uh, is, is available at radicallyadapt.com. Totally free. We just wanted to put more tools in your hands to use the book effectively. Radicallyadapt.com. Anyway, so I, you know, I feel like we are never going to put many genies back in a bottle, but I also think that we, we need to double down on a few others. So this one in foresight was interesting. Only 15% of companies did anything radical before the, the forced shutdown of the pandemic, which was really interesting because some of those companies had operations in China. They had the data, but they didn't do anything about it. There was 
one executive named Rick Ambrose from Lockheed Aerospace. So proud of Rick. Rick had a process in place of leveraging his team and crowdsourcing insight from his team. And the way he went about doing it was on a monthly basis, he'd have a meeting and he'd say to his team, hey, what has anybody seen that we need to be attentive to, either risks or opportunities? Five minutes, by the way, this was a meeting he would have, but five minutes on the agenda. And what he had done was every member of his team had a different vantage point to look at the world. Somebody was looking at competitive changes, another one looking at technological disruption, another one looking at customer shifts. So everybody had a vantage point that they had really thoroughly thought about risks and opportunities. And then in that five-minute episode, they would say, hey, I just saw this thing going on in China with the virus. Maybe we should move that to an analysis meeting. And everybody would volunteer something they've seen if they saw anything. And sometimes it would, nobody would have anything. But this month in December, they did. They saw COVID. They moved to an analysis meeting in January and they were fully virtual in February before everybody else was sort of caught on their heels in March. Oh, wow. So that's the kind of thing that I love finding and discovering these gems of best practices that then we applied to other companies and really measured their impact and we turned them into, you know, stories that we would tell in the book. That's amazing. See, here's the thing. It's like you feel like everybody got caught off guard, but I love hearing a story where somebody was already ahead of the game. Yeah, exactly. But that happened because they had a best practice in place. And what we're trying to do is we we crowdsourced these 2,000 executives, what their best practices were, tested them, tested the best practices for efficacy, and then documented them in the book. Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's something that works so well, it basically feels like magic. For me, I'm thinking air conditioning, noise-canceling headphones, definitely. Meeting-free Fridays. What about selling with Shopify? Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your own shop stage to the first real store stage, you don't have to just sell your own stuff anymore. With Shopify Collective, you can curate products to sell from brands you love and give your customers more variety and your business more sales. Shopify is your no excuses business partner. Sell without needing to code or design. Just bring your best ideas and Shopify will help you open up shop. Shopify also helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting 
checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash beyond. Again, go to shopify.com slash beyond now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash beyond. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. I'm curious. I want to set the stage just a little bit more here. I'm curious, you know, what has that last, you know, we've been, again, you said we've been living in a hybrid world for a long time, though, in, in a sense, nobody's wanted to admit it until now because they were forced to. What were some of these things that, you know, in the process of moving towards a new world of work in recent history, as well as the last, I mean, I've been a remote worker for, well, let me see here, 20, early 2014. So eight mm. plus years now and only, you know, and it's been fits and starts and, you know, it's, it's had different moments where it's been like, oh, it's gelling. It, it's definitely gelled in the last, you know, few years, especially, but that's again, because of an, an accelerated acceptance and working through of the kinks. Now there's still a lot there, but overall it's been getting worked through. That's my personal experience. I think the world in a lot of ways, you know, Again, there were a lot of people who'd never worked remote before up until recently. And again, it's not all about remote, but it just accelerated things. But what would you say are some of the things, the major issues that just were not getting addressed until recently? Uh, I, I feel like, and this is why the subtitle of the book is Radical Adaptability. Mm-hmm. What was happening for 20 years is we were living in a world of volatility that I don't think was being addressed. We did not have inherent ways to look around corners. We weren't truly opening the aperture of our outside-in view. And we weren't really practicing agile. We were, you know, staying steady state and we were getting disrupted. New technologies and technology companies were being created to disrupted entire industries. Now, I think even think about myself, here we were at, I was the chief marketing officer at Starwood Hotels. What stopped us from creating Airbnb, right? So the world was volatile and we were clinging to our fingertips to old industrial era ways of working. And what I've even still fear is that we will crawl out of the rubble and go back to work in too many places. But for those who want to go on the journey to go forward to work, not back, to create a much more open aperture of crowdsourced foresight to run agile as an operating system for our teams that, you know, really humbly works in two week sprints and asks ourselves where we're struggling, where do we need to adapt and pivot, where the team opens the aperture for crowdsourced ideas and innovation and, and people are heard and resilience where mental well-being is a component of of a team sport, not an individual sport that you deal with in the shadows when you're overly stressed. So I think that there's so many different places that we really learned during the pandemic to reboot work. And I just don't want to let go of those. 
Now, when you say your your fear is that some or many won't move forward in the right way, uh, what makes you think that? It's just human nature. We're too stuck in our ways to adapt. Or, or again, I, I think you know, in in some way, shape, or form, the and again, I hate using these terms. I hate the Great Resignation as a term, it, and maybe it's just because I saw it everywhere, all of a sudden, everywhere. Yeah. But I just feel like maybe people, enough people, woke up and moved on from where they were to somewhere that was better. I at least I hope that's the case. But what's your gut telling you when it comes to that fear? One of our faculty in the research institute is the head of people operations at New York. And um, he had a really insightful way to look at where we are right now. He said, you know, we were talking about a lot about the great resignation and how people's mindsets have opened up and changed. He said, I thought it was so powerful. He said, let's stop calling it the great resignation. That is an outcome that's happened Mm. because companies have failed to meet their people where they are. And he said, let's call the movement the great exploration. And leaders who recognize that we're all exploring, even our leaders are exploring. What does work mean? What is our purpose? How do we want to live our lives? That is a very powerful exploration that has opened up for everybody in the last two years. And a a company or a leader that doesn't embrace that and doesn't make room for their people to explore. Now, what we started asking is, what would it mean to let your people explore? You know, how would you hold space for people to ask, what is their purpose? How would you create variety so that people can find something they're interested in inside of your walls? How do you offer sabbaticals? Stacy at Intel is beginning to offer people 20% of their time at full day a week focused on a passion project of their choice. It could be a philanthropy. It could be some cool project to grow the company. It could be anything, but offering passion projects. I think if you get clever, and we're doing this research and it's in the book, if you get clever about how do you meet your people in their great exploration, that could be game changing. Yeah. I mean, geez, that right there is a game changer in terms of most people's lives. I know that when given more agency in a position or a possibility of additional or different positions or duties or passion projects, it can make a world of difference to your existing situation. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, man. I think then that aside from the granted permission of exploration, though, what else do you feel a leader can start to look at things through the lens of and grant to employees and vice versa? What should employees be looking for in terms of this adaptability that we're talking about? Well, I think where employees and leaders meet is in a different place. Instead of having leaders hand down policies or leaders offer their solutions in a controlled, centralized way, I think what is the new, the new space is in co-creation. Somebody asked me the other day, what would you do if you were running your first physical meeting after two years of your team? And I said, well, why don't you ask that? Like, why don't we open up a mural board, a crowdsourced, you know, whiteboard and ask that question and let's hear suggestions and let's co-create how we're going to use physical space with this first meeting as the first pilot. That's the kind of leadership that I want to see more of, right? Not central controlled and then shipped out, broadcast out, but invited in, co-created, 
that's going to be a big difference in great leaders of the future. Much more openness. You know, as I always say, a great leader, when they think they've got the answer, should be telling their people, I'm 30% there. Come on in with me and help figure this out with me. Mm. And that's a sense of shared ownership is my first gut reaction to that. Shared ownership, but shared creation leads to shared ownership. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And even shared investment, because now that I own it and now that I can partner in it and be part of the creative process, I have a say, I have a voice, I have input and not just feedback, not just, hey, this is Q&A. If anybody has any questions, go ahead and ask them now and we'll answer them. It's a, you have a seat at the table. You have input to give direction and sway the dialogue and action. Yeah, exactly. And I don't want to have somebody come up with an idea and sell me on it to, for me to buy in. I want to co-create. And that's that's the real opportunities in co-creation. Yeah, man. So how would you say is the best way, you know, again, we've said technology is not the cause or the answer here. It's just part of the ecosystem. Yeah, it's just a tool that's finally yeah. available to us, you know? Yeah. So, and I know that, you know, that makes collaboration in some senses easier and yet for others, it's it's possibly more difficult because you have a million Slack messages while you're trying to focus on something, hence productivity. But uh, what would you say in terms of maximizing or using using these tools and the technology to move towards that co-creation? You know, again, this is where asynchronous really does come in for team members to, wherever they're working, work together and collaborate. The technology is both precipitator and the enabler. And it's, it's interesting, you know, like we couldn't have had, I mean, I guess we could have had asynchronous collaboration in the past, letters, emails, right? Well, yeah, we did. It just was slower, right? <laughs> yeah. What's open now, though, is, is a level of technology that it would be ridiculous if you don't see how clear we could work together differently. There's a company called Mural, and I was talking to a Mural client not long ago. And I had tears in my eyes. There was a woman from South America who had been treated because of time zones, you know, in a way that her work was always a level of detailed execution after the real thinking happened. So real thinking happened in headquarters, then they'd pass it on to her to get engaged. And all of a sudden with mural boards, she was able to participate right up front. She was able to get deeply involved in the ideation and in fact led the ideation because she had good ideas, but she'd never been invited in because the technology wasn't there for her. That to me just blew me away. And she, this woman with tears in her eyes, right, in, you know, said how this has changed her personal life. Interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, I haven't had that far of, uh, you know, <laughs> a life change when it comes to it. But I think because for me, my experience has been it's been a, a slow boil. You know, it was a shock at first, but then, you know, I had let's see. So if, if everybody if we if we say March 2020 is when everybody when quote air quotes, everybody started to work asynchronously and was forced to to work from home at 2020, that would have been. Uh, you know, a little over six years for me of yeah. having experience under the belt. So it was never a like, oh my gosh, this is, this is a game changer. But 
that's just my lack of awareness or lack of remembering how it used to be for me. So yeah, you know, I, I think that's, I mean, I've been in dialogue with people who, who are used to going into an office. Yeah. I mean, again, it, it it's, if you've not been there, the shock won't be quite as difficult or different, but it might be in that how you collaborated with your physically proximate peers. Now you're an equal, right? I mean, that's very powerful, you know, two tiles on the same screen instead of, you know, looking up to the headquarters in the 36th floor and that meant something. It doesn't anymore. You know, I just want to make sure that again, I, I reiterate to your folks who are listening. If you really want to start consuming these best practices that have been documented in competing in the new world of work, go to radicallyadapt.com, radicallyadapt.com. And we created a free video series that we would love you to have to, in order to begin to implement this with your teams. We put, you know, 10 minute videos together that you can share around to your team talking about how do we want to renegotiate our contract with each other and how do we want to make sure we don't go back to work ever. We go forward to work only. So I hope you people will take advantage of that in addition to the book. Yeah. And I love that you're framing it that way. Instead of back to work, it's forward to work. And in the same way that, you know, a lot of people are, are using that return to office is a, another familiar or, or often used phrase these days that it, that is being called out there. Uh, what would you say to that? To, to one, to a leader who is potentially not seeing any downside to making sure everybody comes back in, you know, again, back to an office versus employees who have now found, you know, there is some benefit to doing that. And and believe me, I've enjoyed going into an office again, but it's also, <laughs> there's pros and cons. I love staying at home too. Let's just make sure that we don't have this forced march that people don't have a voice around. Yeah. And everything needs to be engineered, not at the corporate policy level, but at the team. Make sure that the team's the arbitration for what's right for them. Just use the work to guide what's needed. Use the work, use outcomes, and people can navigate that way. Now, it might be helpful to put some bumper cars together to say, listen, we're going to have a certain set of physical days. We all want everybody in the office, whether that's monthly, quarterly, weekly, whatever it is. And we want you to organize your physical activity in that construct, which makes it easier for everybody. I understand that. The one thing I would say, though, is don't force people into physical work if you're not leveraging physical for physical. If we go back and we do physical work the same way we did prior to 2020, then people are going to be very frustrated. It's like, why in the hell didn't we do this in a virtual meeting? I could have stayed home. Make sure that you're addressing the issues physically that are more emotional right? Where there's that social chemical bonding of being physically proximate with each other matters, where it's celebratory, where it's bonding, where it's greedy issues. You know, I used to get stressed with somebody. If I ever got stressed with somebody at work when I was the chief marketing officer at Deloitte, my old boss used to say to me, uh, Keith, you know, go have a long, slow dinner with them. Well, he's basically recognizing that you know, that is a better medium when I'm frustrated with somebody, a long, slow dinner, maybe a glass of red wine, is a better place to deal with that frustration. So make sure you're leaning in and using personal where personal is, is most valued. Yeah. I mean, I can say, again, I'm sharing a lot of my personal experience, but with my job, I 
would probably not have been considered prior to the pandemic to be at this company because it was a New York City based company. There's also an office in London and another one in Tel Aviv and I, I'm not naming them all. But in other words, there were a few core locations and that was basically it. And, you know, adaptability as far as the extent of it goes, like many places was, oh, well, if you can't come in for some strange reason, then we accommodate you instead of it being an even playing field across the board. And again, we leaned into when I was there, like I did my first day there in the new office or, or in the office that I, I had never been in before. I did like a 12 hour day and didn't notice because I was so energized by being around people. And it was a different feeling and a different collaborative um instantaneous collaboration right across the the desk from somebody and so on and so we we i mean i intentionally leaned in but we also as a as a team and as a company leaned in to that agency that ownership that voice giving and permission not even just permission but encouraging of interactivity and a, just a higher level of quality of work coming from it and a higher sense of purpose and achievement from it as well, I guess, is coming to mind too. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess what I hear you saying is, is there's really no one back to work or forward to work or back to office like approach per se that is right for everyone. It's going to be different for everybody as long as, again, it's a collective adaptable situation. And I think that's what all organizations that are thoughtful are coming up with. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, I really appreciate the fluidity, the sort of ad hoc way, the cool dialogue that we've been having. I, I appreciate this a lot. It's been, it's been fun to, you know, just casual dialogue on your podcast. I just wanted to make a note. I've enjoyed this stuff. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I don't think I've ever had anybody call that out specifically, but that's what I go for. So I'm calling this a win. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And again, this is another drop in the sea change that is happening right now. And I hope that if you've not been thinking about this before, that you would. And you definitely, again, will link up to the new book, Competing in the New World of Work, How Radical Adaptability Separates the Best from the Rest, so you can be the best instead of the rest. And then also, we'll drop in the link as well in the show notes for the video series that you've been talking about to make sure that people can go through that as well. So, Keith, it has been awesome talking with you. Thanks so much for being here. And I can't wait to see what you and Greenlight Research Institute do next. But keep me updated. I'd love to keep the dialogue going. Thanks, Eric. I look forward to seeing you again soon. Awesome. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Keith Ferrazzi and have thought about what your position right now is in terms of your career and your world of work. If you found this episode helpful, I'd love for you to do me a favor and share it with somebody that you know needs to hear this and be thinking about where they're at right now. You can do that by hitting the share button in your podcast player app of choice where you're listening to this, or you can go over to the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com and share it from there. Thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for listening. And I will see you next episode.
Hey, thanks for listening to the end. If you're looking for a show to start helping you apply these productivity lessons on your business, check out Millionaire University. It's real lessons from real entrepreneurs teaching you what you need to know to improve your business or start one if you've been putting it off. It covers all aspects of business from starting marketing, growing, managing, and everything in between, wearing all the hats. And as an added bonus, I am conducting a number of those conversations, those interviews, so you'll fit right in. Again, that's Millionaire University. Just search for it in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast.